figure out what is your brand. What do you love? What are you passionate about? What's your superpower? And how can you use your superpower to equate to wins for other people, for everybody you touch? Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. Achieving your greatest results. It is all about selling. It's where the rubber meets the road in partnering, and it's why I invited my next guest to Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Carson Hetty is a best-selling author, award-winning seller, including Microsoft's prestigious Platinum Club Award, and a recognized social selling leader and podcast host. I invited Carson to Ultimate Guide to Partnering because partners often miss the key attributes to successful co-selling. And Carson is a real-world seller and field leader who intuitively understands and articulates what it takes to be successful selling with the tech giants like Microsoft. I hope you enjoy this high-energy conversation as much as I enjoyed welcoming Carson Hetty. Before we dive into the interview, I'm happy to announce that PartnerTap has become a founding sponsor of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I've been friends with the founders of PartnerTap for many years. And PartnerTap is the only partner ecosystem platform designed for the enterprise. Their technology makes it easy to align channel teams with automated account mapping, letting you control what data you share while building a partner revenue engine. I'm so excited to have them on board. Carson, welcome to the podcast. Vince, pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to welcome you to Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Your role is so important to partner selling. It's where the rubber meets the road for Microsoft partners looking to better engage with Microsoft's field team. So welcome. Thank you so much. Yes, huge believer in our robust partner ecosystem and partner selling. It is essential. So this podcast focuses on principles that allow partners to achieve their greatest results. Getting results is one of the core tenets of successful partnerships. And you are a top award-winning field seller. I'll, I'll say expert in this field and domain of selling, both at Microsoft and before. And you've written several books. I'm really, I'm like, I want to learn from you here. And you've been an award-winning author, in fact, of some of these books. But for our listeners that don't know Carson, can you tell us a little bit more about you? Yeah. Happy to do so. I consider myself a lifelong student of selling. Very fortunate in my career today. I'm a sales director with Microsoft Health and Life Sciences. I've been with Microsoft for eight years. I lead a team that is in our med device and med tech space. Prior to that, I've been an individual contributor and a player coach in different roles at Microsoft across enterprise and our small, medium, and corporate. One common thread is that partners have always been essential to success. Prior to Microsoft, I worked for AT&T for about eight and a half years. Got a couple of little jump, hop, and skips in between. And I have written four books, 
haven't sold enough to retire yet. So even more pleased to still be on the Microsoft payroll, but in all seriousness, just really fortunate to do what I get to do. And I train and coach sellers globe for Microsoft on prospecting and driving pipeline. I was on your LinkedIn page and it's very impressive by the way. And I was just thinking about the energy level that you exude and the work that you do. I was wondering for our listeners, our aspiring sellers and partners that are all sellers, can you tell us more about how you've achieved so many great achievements in selling, including Microsoft's top social seller and the Platinum Club Award, which I know is, it's a big deal at Microsoft to make Platinum Club. What would you describe as your superpower? Thank you, Vince. Yeah, it's amazing. We, we talked briefly about this before we jumped on and it's on paper, there's really no reason why somebody with telecommunications and advertising background would be successful on paper at Microsoft. However, it's really been doubling down on people. And I think if there's any superpower that I have, it is that ability and willingness to really focus on people and process, relationships and resources. Microsoft is a very big relationships and resources organization. There's just so many of them. We're flush with resources. So the key element is understanding the superpowers of others and how can you put them in a position to win, whether it's your customer, whether it's your partner, or whether it's your colleague. And I think that has been my primary superpower that's helped me. I say yes to opportunities, probably sometimes to my detriment if you look at my calendar. But I think the key element for me is I say yes to opportunities. I assume the position. I always jump in and try to help or add value in different scenarios and situations. And I've learned a lot from even my greatest losses. And uh, that's what fuels me. I love what you had to say here. And it strikes back to some of my training that I had as a field seller was around Miller Hyman. And their principles were around people always have a personal win involved. And it's understanding that win. It sounds like that's part of your superpower. Without a doubt, you've got to understand what matters. What's the why? With everybody that you touch in the ecosystem, right? We have direct contact with customers. We have direct contact with our teams, with our colleagues, with our extended teams, with our partners. Got to understand what looks like a win to them. And it's in everything that we do. It's in how we reach out to them. When I talk to partners about how I can best be a good partner, sometimes I hear about the stories where we're not a good partner. And we reach out and we only care about the dollar figure of a deal or what's the latest on this deal. No, I always say reach out to the partner offering to bring the cavalry. Where can I help? Where can I empower you to win? Are there relationships I can unlock for you? Is there potential funding dollars or technical resources that I can bring to bear that can help you win? Because we win by proxy when everyone we touch in the sales ecosystem wins. So I think that's so crucial. I'm glad you touched on partners. I want to dive in here on the partner conversation as well. Partners are so critical to success at Microsoft. And people that have been around other ecosystems don't necessarily understand how much it's valued. It's integrated within the entire organization. And we've had leaders across multiple disciplines of Microsoft and partners are important to all of them. What do you look for in a successful partner engagement? There is an element, Vince, that is very much about the person and the people. And when I think back about phenomenal partner experiences. I think about individual people that, sure, each partner comes to the table with a certain solution set, something that they've crafted on top of our stack, or they, they come with a bag of goodies. And what, But what I think the differentiator is the seller, right? So it's, are they going to come to the table? Is there truly a give-get? Is there somebody who's 
hungry, who's willing to come up with outside the box ideas. I remember doing a, a series of workshops a few years ago and I've always leveraged digital selling tools even before the pandemic to create relationships that we didn't inherently have. Here at Microsoft, historically, we work a lot with IT and procurement, but I kept hearing early on in my time here, hey, we need to get to the other rooms of the house. So I use these tools to unlock relationships and great partner output came when we came together, we would plan a a specific play we wanted to run. And we would market that play with these digital assets. And we would just line them up, bring in or go visit customers. And with this programmatic offering that was geared toward mostly utilizing investment that they were already making. That was another common trend we were often hearing is, hey, you're one of the bigger checks we write. I don't necessarily want to buy something new. So we would try to show up with value around their existing investment. And the partners that were proactively going out there, prospecting with me, trying to create relationships with me, true partnership. It's a rarity, unfortunately, sometimes, but uh, those are the ones that really stand out to me. Those attributes and sellers where they are assertive, they're out there doing this in right alongside me, and we're able to share ideas and there's transparency. That's where we win. Yeah. I coach a lot of organizations here and some of them struggle with this. I don't want to share my pipeline or they miss the point, like locking arms with another seller understanding the full picture of what the customer is looking to do. And in your case, also like understanding the rooms in the house, we used to call it the lines of business. And some of these partners have better subject matter expertise and relationships and reach into those other areas of the enterprise that you're looking to sell to, right? Every time I talk to a partner, I've always looked at it very differently than most. You can sit on a call, you can share what progress you've had or lack thereof with a different with an organization that's a mutual target, or you can look for ways to really meaningfully take it to another level. Every time I meet with a partner, I always look for, okay, to your point, Vince, what is their superpower that I can really leverage? And does it how does it make sense to truly leverage that? I, I build a community around what I do in every role I'm in. So I typically will have opt-in marketing lists or customer contacts that I've accumulated. And we we build events. So I like to go to partners and figure out, okay, what do you have in place today? Do you have upcoming events? How can I evangelize those events? Even if it doesn't benefit, doesn't matter. It's an investment that I'm making in that partnership. Because guess what? If I'm investing in that partnership more than most sellers, who are they going to invest in themselves? They're going to invest in the relationship with me, most likely. That's where the give get is. So I invest substantially. And I have built these large customer lists or a social following. These things can benefit a partner. And I'm fully cognizant of that. So I look for those ways to proactively market and put out what they're working on. Or maybe we do an event together and deliver a big win for that partner. That is a great step in the right direction to foster a strong partnership. And what are you finding now since the lockdown? It's just about two years now since we lockdown. The world is opening up, certainly. We're talking about HIMSS here just next month or actually in a few weeks. What what have you used most effectively? Has it been Teams meetings? What tools have you used for these events? Mostly Teams. And and you know what I love the most events? First off, two things. One, people looked at me like I was some kind of an anomaly years ago when I was doing all of this social selling. And I call it a money ball approach. It just basically plays on probability and controlling quality, quantity, and consistency of messaging to get these meetings. And it was it before I had results, I had no results to speak of. So I had to really bet big on this process. And now it's the way of selling. We're investing in these ways of training digital selling globally. 
The other element is, uh, to your point around teams, what I have loved the most about the last couple of years is my ability to call audibles and to have back-channel chat in the middle of some of these big calls. I will, as a seller, I will always create like a back-channel chat for these big meetings so that we can chat with our extended teams, with partners in the background so that we can, in essence, as we things unfold in these conversations, we can better arm one another as part of that discussion. The other thing is, let's say I have an important meeting with an executive in the 2019 way of doing things. I might be sitting there. I realize I need a technical architect or a partner, and I need to now schedule a second meeting. And that could be a couple of weeks down the road. That meeting might get moved, how these sales cycles work. But now with a click of a button, I can add somebody into my meeting, provided they're available. And so being able to call those types of audibles is a real strength of this hybrid or virtual work that I think all sellers need to seize. We've all been so much more effective. I wonder if we're ever really going to go back. We're going to meet customers where they are, Vince. I think that customers, because a lot of them are not also back into a formal workplace, we're going to continue to see where this virtual makes a lot of sense. And I think that all of us will probably have less T&E budget. But to your earlier point, like we're talking about these events and where they make sense. And I'm planning travel in March to go see a couple of customers. But it is definitely going to be rarer and used more for specific missions. So it's going to be an interesting hybrid place. But that is why as sellers, we have to be able to operate and thrive in ambiguous situations because we're in the mother of them all right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to dive in on the books, right? First of all, I'm still writing my first book and I'm a little stuck. I might ask you for some advice after after this podcast, but four books. And I love the titles, by the way. I love, first of all, Birth of a Salesman, right? That's so great. I mean, after Death of a Salesman, which was a classic. Salesman on Fire and that's we'll talk about that. That's your most recent book. And then two others, The Salesman Against the World and Salesman Forever. You wrote the, the first book over a decade ago. What was the impetus to get started writing a book? Oh, my goodness. First off, the best advice, Vince, is just go ahead and write it and go back and edit later because you're going to read it so many times you'll never want to read it again anyway. So just flesh it all out first and then go back and edit. My The impetus for me writing... I had always been super passionate about writing. I had no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up, uh, when I was younger. I didn't even declare a major until I was a junior in college. And I wound up in a sales job a little bit after college. And the rest was history. But I always loved writing. I would enter contests when I was a kid. And I was always writing stories, even if it was fiction that featured my friends and me going to space or whatever it was. And so that was something I always knew I wanted to do. When I was at and I was I would write a column as part of a newsletter that in our business. And typically, a lot of the topics were on career and leadership and sales. Now, wanting to write a book and enjoying writing about selling, that was a challenge because there's a lot of people that had done it very well, far better than I felt like I ever could do. So I didn't want to just write another sales book or another leadership or career book. So I created a fictional protagonist, goes through these experiences in a career. And now over these four books, each one has its very distinct footprint. I'm actually embarking on a fifth right now. And it's, but each one is very distinct. Like it's a book within a book, Birth of a Salesman. The fictional protagonist writes a sales book and that book is featured inside of Birth of a Salesman while it also tells his own story. Like it's chapter for chapter. The next one was had an interesting twist. The third one had an interesting twist as well. And then the last one was me interviewing 
the fictional protagonist. So each one of them, and they were all inspired, and the titles were inspired by just different, very distinct things. But that's where it really started for me, Vince, was I wanted to write I wanted to write a book about sales. I didn't want to be like everybody else. I was more writing a parable type. You know, think five dysfunctions of a team was a big inspiration for me. And that's where it it unraveled, where it unfolded. Very cool. Very cool. So you've shifted roles a little bit. You're still a field seller. That's never going to be out of your DNA, but you've taken on a leadership role. So now you're building out a team and you're looking for the most valued players on your team. What attributes do you look for? Love that question. Yeah, it's funny because I've interviewed and hired a lot of people in my life. And it's also, I think I'd be remiss not to say I was very audacious to write a book about sales in my 20s. Like I I even reread it and modified it, made a special edition a few years ago because I had changed my thought process so much. I used to think experience in sales or just having different things on your resume that showed that you had been in sales mattered a great deal. But over time, I've really realized that there's a few elements. There's that it, part of it is the persona. There's a risk factor, right? Anytime we hire somebody, there's risk. And so what are the things that de-risk it are the things that really jump out to me. And being able to showcase perseverance in the face of ambiguity, change. That's why a lot of the questions I ask are very experiential when I'm trying to determine who's going to be successful in this type of a role. Where have they worked well as part of a team? Where have they worked well in the face of uh, very distinct challenges? Sometimes just grueling challenges. Talk to me about a scenario where you lost and what you learned or a scenario where you were working as part of a team and were not getting the level of collaboration that you felt like it required. You know, I think it's perseverance, team collaboration. Those are the things that I really look for. And then that never say die attitude. I really look for the personality as opposed to the experience. Because at the end of it, Vince, I need to pick somebody who I believe is going to maintain the fire that they were on interview day. I love that. So grit, passion, right? Because persistence and perseverance and grit to me are all like melded into one in some respects. But then also the passion and the fire, which I love. That's it. Yeah. So I want to dive back in on the partner conversation for a bit here. We talked about what it looked like when they're successful, but as we all know, they don't always go the way we expect them to go. And we want to, we want to coach partners here. Like, How can partners be more effective selling with you and your sellers? What do you wish you could say to them now? That's a great one. I think it's critical for both sides to look at what matters to the other, to understand each other's metrics. At the beginning of the fiscal year, my team and I and, and some, a handful of select partners, we created a program called Plays That Get You Paid. And at the heart of that was uncovering how everybody got paid. What are the key workloads that were going to drive metrics and payout for everyone involved? And in, in a partner scenario, a lot of times there are things that, that we can provide or be forward thinking about like funding dollars, funded workshops, uh, services business, services engagements. These are things that matter a great deal in the partner ecosystem. And they are ultimately the things that are going to drive what might matter to my sellers. So what will equate to a licensing purchase or an, an upfront commitment for public cloud. So I think the key element, we do a great job of talking about plays sometimes where I think we fall flat is we don't think about them from start to finish. We don't think about all of the players and the contributors that are going to be key to that play being a success. 
and to be able to think about it holistically, end to end. Like, look, there's an outreach element. We've got to really be crisp on the the messaging, what we're showing up with, what's the value that we're bringing and showing up with, what's the unique point of view or perspective. Next, what's our call to action? What are we immediately going to do? Because it's not closing a deal. There are steps that we have to take to get to that. So maybe it is that partner workshop. Maybe it is playing off of their superpower to enhance the relationship. Because as you said before, Vince, these are teams that also have sales forces. I feel like we're creating a sales army. And it's there's a lot of key players that are a part of that internally and with partners and even finding the customer advocate. They're a part of that army too. It's a mission. You're driving change. So you've got to really think about who are all these players that are going to be involved. So a successful partner engagement, in my mind, is just to put it simply, fully baked. It's something that you think about as far as how am I showing up with perspective? What's that call to action? What do I envision that this is going to beget? And where can I invest? Where can I invest with the partner? Where can I can invest with the customer? And think about this from start to finish. Such good advice for partners, right? I always talk about trying to stand out and being very crisp about your value proposition. What is your joint value proposition with Microsoft? What are you going to go do together? And then as you suggest, the execution of those elements, the several steps in the process. Brilliantly said. And then like you said, yes, it is about the steps of the process and it's managing to milestones. I think change and ultimately a sale happens because we uncover the need, we find ways to address that need, to show up different, to show up uniquely. And then we agree that this is of mutual benefit all around. Everybody has to benefit as a part of where we head together in lockstep. So we understand that, look, this is a priority for the customer. We've got to make sure that we're working with the decision makers or influencers. doesn't matter who has the relationship. We all have to nurture it together. And then it's managing the milestones. It's, it's provided this is a priority for our customers. And we've already unearthed that it's a priority for our partners and the other people that are in the boat. We should all be rowing together. And that's the key element. Wow. <laughs> We have to compare notes on books here because I have a whole concept on this aligning, what I call extreme commitment, which also includes rowing the boat in the same direction. There you go. So I love what you have to say. I won't use that in my next book, I promise. (laughs) Okay. I love it though. I love it. So I focus in on helping earlier in career professionals get to a spot in their, their career. And there are a lot of people that are listening. A lot of our listeners are earlier in career professionals. They might be in the partner domain. They might be in other domains. But for these listeners, can you help us understand, help them understand how you got to this spot? Like, how, Was there a plan or a pivot point? What do you attribute to your success, Carson? I have to pinch myself, Vince. It's interesting because I did. I got into sales completely by happenstance. I thought I was going out for more of a customer service role. I wound up in a training class with 12 people, uh, 10 of whom uh, retreated to prior roles, AT&T. I was brand new, so I had nowhere to retreat. It was not what I expected. It was inbound calling. We pivoted. At that point, we were doing B2B and it went to B2C. And it was a basically customers calling in because they were upset about their bill. And I had to push through. I had to pay my dues. I was successful in the role because of resilience and got promoted. I was always focused on results. I didn't want to name a number next to my name that wasn't indicative of my best. And so for me, at at first, it was, I think, the common trend. Like I just wanted my parents to be proud of me. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Over time, it was, I was proud of the result. 
and I wanted the result to be there. But I've had my fair share of setbacks too. I had two times in my career where I was looking for work that I did not anticipate having to do. That Those were very humbling experiences. But one thing that was very serendipitous for me was writing that book in 2010, because that made my resume stand out amongst the crowd when I applied to a job that I got in 2011. And I was made a connection there that led me to my next job. And I made a connection there that pulled me into Microsoft. So when I look back on my career events, I wouldn't even be here if it hadn't been for writing that book. So my advice is figure out what is your brand? What do you love? What are you passionate about? What's your superpower? And how can you use your superpower to equate to wins for other people, for everybody you touch? Double down on your network. I wish I had done that earlier on in my career, really minded my network and focused on network and things of that nature. And even at Microsoft, there's been a lot of changes. I've been here eight years. I've had nine managers. I've been in several different business groups. My role has changed substantially, but that's the thing. I'm always, I focus on what is in front of me. What is this organization paying me to do? And how can I do it better every day? How can I be a better version of myself? How can I say yes to opportunities? How can I solve problems that are out there for my boss, for my leadership team, for other people that I touch? And I always try to apply the things that I'm good at to solving problems for other people. That's how you create and add value. And if you do that successfully, you write your own ticket. How can I be a better version of myself? That has hit me on the head. No, thank you. I, I mean, it's something I have to remind myself of every day. And don't get me wrong, like inevitably, like I'll fail at something in, in any given day. Like I'm always trying to be a better husband, better dad, better Christian, better employee. And inevitably, it's very challenging to do all of those things. You do the best you can. Sometimes you got to slow it down, focus on the step, land the step you're on. But those are the types of things that I really double down on, controlling the controllables. There's a lot of things you can't get distracted by things that are out of your control. You can learn from them. You can prepare for them as best you can, but you've got to focus on controlling the controllables. Was there a best piece of advice that got you to this mindset? That was one of them, the controlling the controllables, focusing on the things that you can actually control to uh, give yourself the best probability of success. But I'd say the other one, Vince, is being transparent, building a foundation of trust and transparency with people. And that's where it feeds back to everything that we've talked about today. Investing in partnerships, as an example, or going out and understanding the why behind uh, what, why people are doing what they want to, why people are doing what they do. You're not going to be able to influence change or activity if you're not coming from a genuine place, an authentic place. And transparency is key. So I think those were the things that have really helped me the most to develop that mindset. So important. So important. I go back to the Stephen Covey seven habits and trust and trustworthiness. And it all comes down to transparency. Let's be open and honest and transparent with one another. That's it. So let's have a little fun. Uh, we're, you and I are just talking about being on the road and uh, we're both going to be at an event pretty soon here. And I was thinking like, okay, when I used to go on the road, I used to have a playlist I take with me. But for this playlist you're going to take with you, you're only going to be able to pick five songs and you might get a little repetitive over time. So you're probably going to want to pick songs you, that are really important to you. But if you were to choose only five songs for this important playlist for this road trip, what five songs would you select for this playlist and why? I've been on a lot of podcast events and I have to say this might be, if not the best, it's one of the best questions I've ever heard. I love this question. So stay with me on this because I'm going to take you on a journey here. The first one, and this is going to sound a little funny, so I'm going to give it a little context. It's You're the Best 
around from the Karate Kid. And here's why. Because when I was a seller at AT&T and I had to drive into work every day just to sit and get 100 plus inbound calls back to back with people complaining about their account or their bill, and I had to turn around and sell them something, I needed something to like really psych me up. I was a big Karate Kid fan and You're the Best Around from the Karate Kid did that for me. It like... Picture Dwight in the office when him and Michael went out on the road and like when he was like listening to his head banging music, that's the kind of sensation that it gave me every day and it psyched me into the place that I needed to be. Now, the next one is The Show Must Go On by Queen. The Show Must Go On is actually going to be the title of my fifth book. And here's why. Because as sellers, uh, specifically ones that have been in the selling game for a considerable period of time like you and I have, sometimes we have to just keep going, especially in days where they look the same. We feel like we're in Groundhog Day every day, going back to my virtual office here in my downstairs room. Those types of things, it can be very challenging to do, but the show must go on. You may be in a grueling negotiation. You may not be feeling it, but the show must go on. And that song, uh, really, in my mind, it epitomizes the last two years for me because there's definitely been times where I've struggled as well. I just try my absolute best not to show it for the sake of everyone that I love, my family, my team, etc. The third one, The Best is Yet to Come by Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra is my happy place. That and the Eagles usually are the music that I listen to when I just need to chill. So let's say I'm driving to a, to close a big deal, right? I need to be in a good spot. So uh, Sinatra gets me there and uh, the best is yet to come is very optimistic. Number four, Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. This song brings back some really good memories for me. One, I sang it in a Minneapolis piano bar with some Microsoft colleagues several years ago. I'm told somebody captured it on video, but that video is yet to surface. Thank goodness. I also have a great memory of it when I was working in a call center back in 2008. And I paraded through the office one day in the middle of a month playing Don't Stop Believing. And uh, we had a phenomenal sales day. So that's just that song always puts me in a good frame of mind. The last one is for the drive home, Vince. It's after the close. And it's We Are the Champions by Queen. I found that Queen pretty much has a lot of the songs like I Want It All, I Want to Break Free. Um, a lot of songs that should any seller should uh, dive into their greatest hits. That's such a great list. I love your list. And uh, we're going to publish this, by the way. We're going to publish, we're going to put it up on one of the platforms and publish a link to it on our show notes. So this has just been terrific. Carson, you've been amazing. I am so happy and delighted to have you as a guest here. For our listeners, mostly in the partner world, some of them in the Microsoft world, any last closing comments on how they can achieve their greatest results this year? Think about, and Vince, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was an absolute treat. Think about what, at the end of the year, in December, what do you want to look back having been known for, having achieved? And think about this. Do you have the relationships that you need in order to make that happen? Are there ways that you could focus more on your own personal growth, your learning in order to achieve the things that you want to set out and do this year? And make your list of people that you need to invest in those relationships and make your list of your non-negotiables. It's so easy to get swept up in the minutia of every single day. And that's why it, it happens to all of us. But where we can set ourselves apart and truly succeed is when we, are, when we adhere to our non-negotiables, invest in people, double down on people, double down on process and personal growth, and you will achieve your goals this year. 
I love that. I love that. Carson, so great to have you here today on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. And thanks for being such a great guest. Thank you, Vince. My pleasure. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by PartnerTap, the partner ecosystem platform most trusted by enterprise. Drive more revenue with your partners and learn more at partnertap.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.